The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Well, we're back with a good morning to all of you. It's great for you to come back and to continue our series. We're in part five in a walk through Acts. And when last we went, we spoke of the testimony that Peter had with the household of Cornelius. And so as we go into today's lesson, we'll kind of shortly rehearse uh, what happened in Acts chapter 10 by reading Acts chapter 11. Because in Acts chapter 11, Peter is rehashing or rehearsing the story of what took place when he went to Cornelius' house to others, other Jews, that were kind of still astounded that what took place actually took place. So they wanted to hear it straight from Peter. So we're going to be reading Acts chapter 11, verse 13 through 18. And we'll read one at a time, starting with Deborah. Acts chapter 11, verse 13 through 18. Then he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Acts 11, verse 14. Who should tell these words, where... By thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell upon them as on us at the beginning. Then remember I, the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. If therefore God gave them the same gift, as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When he heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance and turn. Okay. So, in rehearsing the matter, we can still see the confirmation of points we made last time that we met. Peter was called by the Lord in a vision to bring the gospel message of salvation to Cornelius, who had himself seen an angel that said, I want you to go get Peter, because he is going to come and tell you and give you a message on what you must do. Okay? That was a big emphasis last week. They had not yet been born again. Cornelius, his household, no matter what great reputation he was developing, no matter how faithful he was in giving alms to the poor, no matter how faithful he was in his prayers, no matter how faithful he was in his house, he was not yet in a state where he had been saved and rescued and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He hadn't been. So Peter had to come. And salvation came unto them through their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit in power, which is the grace of God. If the Spirit had not come like he did, they would have argued. Peter and the Jews would have argued back and forth, back and forth. But how could you do that? How could you do that? But what 
settled the matter was that they received the gift just like we did. That's what Peter said, just like we did. And then he reemphasized, and remember, you know, John the Baptist was saying that John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And none of them had the power to do that. They all knew that only Jesus himself had the power to immerse someone and baptize someone in his own spirit. So if Jesus himself baptized the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, in his very own spirit, who were they to argue against their Lord? And say, wait a second, you made a mistake. What did you do? Wait, 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 wait. No, they just accepted the fact. Jesus made an emphatic statement to them. He spoke to me in a vision and he baptized them with the Holy Ghost. And we can't really, really argue with that because they spoke in tongues just like we did. So, by that sign, all of them were convinced. They were all in agreement. They heard what Peter said. They weren't believing before when they heard what? Peter went where? Did what? What? Wait, no, no. We want to hear from Peter. Peter then shared everything and said, okay. They didn't argue with it. It says, when they heard these things, they became what? They became silent. They, they, they were at peace. And they said, okay. We can't say anything about this. There's nothing we can say. And what did they do? Instead of arguing with Peter back and forth, what did they do? They glorified God. That's why I knew they were in agreement. If they weren't in agreement, they would have been arguing. There would have been a record here. But no, the record is they glorified God. They were silent and they said, well, praise the Lord. Now the Gentiles are in. Okay? So the Spirit being poured out on them in the same way that it had poured out on the original disciples on the day of Pentecost was the sign to them that God had received the Gentiles into this promise, into this new covenant, because they also spoke in tongues. So we're going to continue moving forward. That's just a reiteration of what all the points that we made last time we met. And we're going to continue moving through Acts. And as I've told you before, you should continue to be reading Acts diligently through the chapters because I'm just highlighting certain points to help us answer our question. Our question was, could the disciples have received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost and whoever sins you remit are remitted and whoever sins you retain are retained? Could it have happened then? But according to our walkthrough acts, it, there's really no evidence of that. Because every time we're talking about when they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, they're going back to Pentecost. They're not going back to a moment where Jesus said something about receiving the Holy Ghost. They keep going back to Pentecost. The day that they were there, 50 days after uh, he had raised, uh, he was raised from the dead, that particular feast was when they kept referring back to. So, a very important issue rose in the next chapter that we're going to consider, and that's Acts chapter 15. It wasn't now an issue of, are the Gentiles involved in this now? No, they got over that because of this testimony. They got over that and they started receiving the Gentiles in. They said, okay, they can receive the gospel of salvation. They can be redeemed. They can be rescued. They can be healed. They can be saved. They can be delivered. Goes against everything we thought before in the old covenant with this separation. Um, but we realize it is the heart of God to redeem all of mankind, not just a certain portion, but whosoever will. 
And because it's whosoever will, then it's open to anyone who wills to be saved and to turn their eyes upon Jesus. So the issue here is not that the Gentiles are in. The issues became, there were some Pharisees, there were some Jews who did believe. And they started to teach, even though they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they started to teach, because they were former Pharisees or were Pharisees, that unless you circumcise after the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were saying. They were saying, wait, 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 wait. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost, but, 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 but. they still have to circumcise after the custom of Moses. They still have to abide by the law. Because they began to disregard the truth that the Gentiles had received the Spirit. But the Gentiles weren't getting circumcised. That was one of the main differences of the Old Testament. If you remember, God used the circumcision as a sign of separation, as a sign of distinction between His people and the rest of the world. Because the rest of the known world did not circumcise themselves. They just didn't do that. For them, it was like, what's the point? Well, God made it a point because I want to, I want to, I want to make my people separate. I want to distinguish them apart from the rest of the world. And so he commanded Abraham to, to circumcise yourself, your sons and all the males in your household. And so that became a part of the covenant of the old covenant. And it was a distinction to show that you are my people and everyone else who is not doing it is not. So we see that some are now adding to, adding works on the part of man to the salvation message. Because when Peter preached the gospel, Peter didn't say, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you need to get circumcised, you Gentiles. He didn't say that. He didn't say that on the day of Pentecost to the Jews. He didn't say that on, on the day that they went to the Samaritans. That wasn't their issue, remember? Their issue was, are they getting, are they believing the gospel? Okay. If they're believing the gospel, are they getting baptized in Jesus' name? Okay. And if they're, if they're believing and being baptized, then are they receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? That was it. That was their concern. It was never, hey, are they getting circumcised? Hey, we gotta go bring a knife. We gotta go get these, these uh, Samaritans and, and Jews and Gentiles. We gotta get them all circumcised because they gotta follow the law of Moses. That was never their issue. But there are some that by the end of, of, uh, or by Acts chapter 15, they're like, no, 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 no. They're Gentiles. Okay. We're gonna receive them in, but they gotta get circumcised just like we do. And so we have to have a discussion about that. And so up to this point, we have seen that just the simple prerequisite is to hear the gospel, Trust and obey it through repentance, being baptized in water in Jesus' name, and receiving the Spirit. That's it. We know that these are acts of faith. Trust. They're not works on the righteousness on the part of man. It's not like man came up with this great idea. Oh, I'm going to repent. I'm going to put myself in water, baptizing myself in Jesus' name, and I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to do that all. No. So it's not righteousness on the part of man. It's I heard the word of the Lord, and I'm going to obey it. And so then it's not works, it's faith. It's faith what? Faith in God's word. So let's read, just to reemphasize, we are not talking about works. We are talking about obedience to God's word. In Titus chapter 3, 5 through 7, 
Who's next? I forgot. Monica, Titus 3, 5 through 7. And you're going to read one verse, and then Ralph, and then uh, my wife. Titus 3, 5 through 7. Actually, we'll start with verse 4. 4, 5, 6, 7. And the next verse, Ralph? You said Titus 3, 5. Titus 3, 5 through 4, 5, four. 6, and 7. Oh, 4. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is no works involved on the part of man that can save him. It's very clearly put right there. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. It wasn't because I was kind to my brother. It wasn't because I was kind to my sister. It wasn't because I rescued his horse from the ditch. It wasn't because I, I, I paid him back when I borrowed money from him. It wasn't because I lent him money. It wasn't because I, I, I didn't ask for the money back after I lent it to him. It wasn't because of any good things that I do that righteousness came to me. God's kindness and His love appeared not because of my righteousness, but according to His mercy. Salvation originated with God and is completed by God, not by me. It says salvation was according to His mercy He saved us. Through the, now, now it tells by what means. Yes, it originated with God. By what means were you saved? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of what? The Holy Ghost. That's why you can't go and think that if I don't have the Holy Ghost, I can still be saved. He saves by means of the Holy Ghost. Not outside the means of the Holy Ghost. Or the Holy Spirit. Whom he did what? He shed on us abundantly through Christ our Savior. This is why you cannot reject or neglect receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost for yourself. It is how God saves you. So you have to seek after it. You have to ask him for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. There is no works on the part of man. Man simply has to trust and obey Jesus, his plan, his way, his work for us in our lives. It is Jesus working through our trust and obedience to his word that saves us. Because Jesus cannot work with someone who is rebellious. He will work with someone who will cooperate with him. Oh, you want to get saved? Well, this is what you need to do. Remember that word? What you need to do. What you need to do. Cornelius, go call Peter. He'll tell you what you need to do. Paul, go wait over here till you find out what you need to do. 
over way back in Acts beginning in chapter 1 and 2. He will tell you what you need to do. What must we do? There's something, yes, we must do, but it's dependent upon hearing God's voice and just trusting and obeying whatever he says. But it's not your bright idea. It's not your good works. It's not your good intentions. It's not your good heart. It's not your good motivations. That None of that saves you. It's solely God's mercy that he comes by his grace to you. And then if you really want to be saved, he'll tell you exactly how you got to get saved. And it's through me. God says it's through me. It's through my spirit. And I will cooperate with you to get you saved, to get you redeemed, to get you cleansed, to get you clean. But if you're rebellious, I can't save you, God says. I won't save you, God says, really. Because you are not cooperating with me. You are not submitting yourself to me. You're wrestling with me. You're battling with me. I'm not going to save you if you're going to do that. Submit, surrender, and I'll save you. So I want to diverge for this moment to talk about this because a perfect example of this is Abraham. And we've talked about him before, so this may be a repeat for some of you, but for others who have never heard this before. It was said of Abraham that he trusted in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember that? We've read that before. That's Genesis 15.6. Sorry about that. And that was reiterated in Romans 4.3. How do we know that Abraham trusted? They know he trusted because he obeyed. That cannot be separated. You can't ignore the fact that the reason why it was eventually said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness without reading the prior verses and chapters that led up to the point where in Genesis 15 it is said. Look into Abraham's life and you will see him hearing and talking with God and obeying his word. He had conversations with God. Whether anybody was there or not, whether anybody witnessed it or not, Abraham was having conversations with God and he was hearing him either through vision or, you know, person to person or, or in a dream and he would obey whatever it was that he believed God was telling him. And he may have wavered on an occasion, but his life was a steadfast fruit of trust because he waited how many years to receive the promise of his son Isaac through Sarah? Anybody remember? How many years did he wait for that? Almost 24 years. He was given the promise at the age of 75. He did not have Isaac till 99. He waited 24 years. Did he stumble? Of course, yes, he stumbled. I'm, I'm not ignoring the fact he stumbled. He thought he should, not he thought, his wife said, you need to go with Hagar. And then we got Ishmael. But he wasn't the promise. But nevertheless, no matter whether he tried to make it happen himself or not, out of God's plan, out of God's will, because you can't have a baby with Sarah if you're having it through Hagar. That doesn't fulfill God's word. God's word did not say, Abraham, you're going to have a son through uh, Hagar. No, Abraham, you're going to have a son through I, I, Sarah. And that was a promise. So Hebrews 11, remember Hebrews chapter 11, the great big hall of faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, hear those words, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, talking about the promised land, he needed to go out to a place that he was going to receive as a promise, as an inheritance, him and his descendants, 
obey. The very word right after, after receiving for an inheritance was the word obeyed. You cannot ignore that. We cannot ignore that. He obeyed. He went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. He dwelt in tabernacles with who? Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson. The heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Those are the words. Not by faith, Abraham believed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. So when we understand biblical faith, we understand biblical faith is hearing God's word and obeying it. That's biblical faith. So trust always works through and with obedience. If you truly believe on Jesus Christ, then you will, what? Obey. Whatever he commands you to do. Who, who will you follow in the footsteps like? Abraham. Who's the father of the faith. So let's read and consider three verses in James 2. Verse 21. Actually four verses. 21, 22, 23, and 24. James 2, 21 through 24. So the focus here is Abraham was justified by works. Now, a lot of people will get sidetracked and think works, works, works. Oh, that's a bad thing. And, and they will say, whoa, that's the works of the law. No, 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 no. We're not under the law. We're not under the old covenant. But the works here of Abraham were not the works of the law. How do we know that? I know I've asked that many times before, but for those that are listening, how do we know that Abraham, these works were not about the works of the law? Does anybody remember? How do we know that? Because Abraham came before the law? Exactly. Abraham came before the law. Abraham was before Moses. Way before Moses. Hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years before Moses. So this can't be the works of the law. This has got to be other works, some other type of works. But in the context of the scriptures, we, we understand what those works are. <laughs> so let's read verse 22. By the way, was, was it Abraham's bright idea to sacrifice his son on the altar? No. Where did that idea come from? That's right. So he heard the Lord again. Even to sacrifice his own son, he was willing. He was willing to obey. <clears throat> That's works. Go ahead. Verse 22. See, fell. How faith wrought with his works, and by works with faith made perfect. Was faith made perfect? So faith worked together with works. What, what, what works are we talking about? works of obedience. Faith works together with obedience 
And that's what will make our faith perfect. In other words, complete. Faith is made complete by obedient works that follow. If you don't have the works, your faith is not complete. It's merely mental assent. I believe, I believe, I believe. No, it's completed. Faith is completed by the works of obedience that follow the things that you believe. Next verse, 23. When the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So re, so understand right here, the scripture is giving us an indication of what itself meant when it said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Anyone who knows nothing about the scriptures can just read that one verse, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, could come up with the idea that, oh, all I got to do is believe and I get righteousness. But, if, but he's divorcing itself from the context of the situation. The context is saying Abraham's faith, belief, was made complete by what? Made perfect by what? Works of obedience. Now you have a fuller understanding of what it is to have biblical faith. It is obedient works that follow what you thought you heard God say. And that's what Abraham did. He thought he heard God say, I gotta leave. I gotta go over here. I gotta grab this as an inheritance. I'm gonna have a son through Sarah. I'm gonna have the descendants as the stars of heaven. I believe. Oh, well, I believe so much that I'm about to leave my father, my mother, and everything that I know, all of my family, all of my country, to go to a place that I know completely nothing of. And he did. It says, by faith, Abraham, what? Obeyed. And that's what we cannot neglect to understand in this case. The last verse 24. <clears throat> Do you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? Abraham trusted and his obedience, his works to God's word was the proof of that. If he did not live a life of obedience to God's word, the scriptures would not be justified in saying these two things. He trusted in God or he believed in God, and his trust imputed to him as righteousness. But we can't. The, the, the scriptures can clearly say that because the evidence is overwhelming that he heard and obeyed. But because his faith worked together with his obedience, it can be said that his faith was completed, was perfected with his works. And thus the scripture is fulfilled that Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's why it says that. Faith apart from obedience is what? Dead. It has no meaning whatsoever to God, most importantly, or really to anyone else. So let's say, I told you tomorrow. Meet me at Lenore Park under the Joshua tree over there. I'm making this up, okay? At 7 a.m. And I'm going to give you a million dollars. I'm going to do it. Now you can, you can be skeptical. Say, I don't know about that. But you will never know. Really. <clears throat> until you meet me at that Joshua tree. 
at 7 a.m. in the morning. And if I'm a man of my word, like God is a man of his word, and he says to do something, and he says, if you do this, I will do this, you can bet your life that if you comply with his requirements, he will fulfill his part. Because he's all about a God of covenant. And a covenant is a an agreement, a, a, a relationship made upon certain requirements. I have requirements of you, and you're going to have requirements of me. And if you hold to your requirements, I'm going to hold to mine. That's what a pact is. That's what a covenant is. Contract. It's a contract. Yeah. I pay you to build my house in such and such a way. Okay, well, when you build my house in such and such a way, here, here's your money. I mean, that that's regular business negotiations in this world. I simply ask, when you meet me at the Joshua Tree, to trust me and obey me. You could be skeptical all you want. You could be in unbelief all you want. But if I find you there at 7 a.m. under the Joshua Tree, you just exhibited faith. You had enough faith to believe. Even though you may have been skeptical, even though you may have had some unbelief, you had enough faith to meet me at the Joshua Tree to see if it was true. And that's how our relationship is with God. I'll be more amazed if there would be actually a Joshua tree here. Oh, yeah, a Joshua tree. <laughs> <laughs> you can Google that later on. <laughs> I won't really know if you really trust in my word until you do as I said. I, I really won't know that. Right. You could say, oh, sure, yeah, I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm there at 7 a.m. and ain't nobody come. Now I know you really didn't believe me. Because if you did, if you believed that, I would have given you a million dollars, you would have been there. Okay. And this is the same way it is with Jesus. If you truly trust him, you will obey his commands. Just like our father in the faith, Abraham, did. And it will be imputed to you as what? Righteousness. Without barter. Without exchange. No, you you believe me. How do I know? You obeyed. Now I got to fulfill my part, God says. You did what I required. So now back to the issue of Acts chapter 15, okay? So we see there this new doctrine coming about. It's contrary to the apostles' doctrine. It's created a ruckus. Paul and Bartimaeus came. Peter was there. I mean, all of the all of the, the apostles were there. All the believers were there. All in Jerusalem. It's, we call it the Great Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15. And... Paul and Barnabas are the ones that are kind of spearheading this. Like, no, they don't need to do that. They don't need to get circumcised. But there was conflict. Because Paul was not about to go back to the Pharisaical old ways and traditions of the Old Covenant. He had got the revelation. So they decided to take the matter to the whole church. All the believers are there. The apostles, the elders in Jerusalem, it says. And the Pharisees are allowed to speak first. And what they speak is heresy. Because it contradicts everything that the apostles taught. The apostles never, ever said to anyone, required of anyone, hey, you got to get circumcised. Never. That was never an issue. And now we got other people adding to the gospel, saying something extra. And who was given commandments to preach? Who was that? The apostles. The apostles. If anybody knows what Jesus wanted, it would have been that. Not some people who came afterward, who had ever met him, you know, who didn't walk with him for three and a half years during his ministry. No, it would have been the apostles. Okay? 
The Pharisees taught two things. They felt that the nations must be circumcised and they must keep the law of Moses or else they would not be saved. That was their argument. And so they assembled together to answer this very specific question. Just like our whole walk through Acts is answering the question, could they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when Jesus uh, said what he said? So Peter arises. He's the first one to arise to witness concerning this question. So let's read Acts chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. One verse each. Fifteen, verse seven through eleven. Okay, I'll read. Acts fifteen, seven through eleven, and seven starts with, and there had been much dispute. Peter rose up and said to them, "Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe." So he's going back to what happened in Acts chapter 10 and 11. He says, you guys know that by my mouth, the Gentiles came in. They heard the word of the gospel and they believed. Now, is it a little bit more than they simply just heard the word of the gospel and believed? No, it was also about they received the gift of the Holy Ghost and all of that. But you may understand that because we read the actual context of that account. So he's just kind of generalizing because everybody understands that. He's speaking to people that already understand it. So he doesn't have to go into every single detail, but we got the detail from Acts chapter 10 and 11. Verse 8, please. And God, which doubted the hearts, <clears throat> bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. So even get specific there. Hey, they received the Holy Ghost just like us. You see, he, he keeps reiterating that point. That's why we know. Everybody knows that, okay? Next one. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And so what he's saying with that point is that, hey, if they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God does not see a difference between them and us, between Gentiles and Jews, between supposedly unclean and clean. He doesn't see that anymore. And neither should we. That's what he's saying. Okay, next one. No, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the, the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we we're able to bear. Why are you tempting God? Why are you trying to put a weight on these new disciples, these Gentiles, that not even our fathers, who were in the old covenant, not even they could bear it? Why are you going to make them do that? That's what he's saying. I'm just kind of, you know, paraphrasing in case this old English King James Version doesn't, you know, I'm just making it real for today's words. And the last verse. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Hmm. Now notice here, there's a very particular uh, phrase that was used in Acts, in verse 8. Notice here, God judged the hearts of those who listened. And he gave them witness by giving them his spirit. He did this, not only for those who were going to receive his spirit, but he did it for those who were witnessing the event so that everybody would know, hey, I've accepted them. They have my stamp of approval so that they would all know God was approving this and that he supported 
what Peter was preaching and teaching. And that's so important because remember when we were reading at the end, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and looking at what Jesus said to all of them? Do you remember when we were talking about that? And remember it says, he followed them with signs and wonders confirming the word they were preaching. Do you remember that? I forgot, I think it was in Mark or, I think it was in Mark or Luke. God was following them with signs and wonders to confirm their word. And it's here it is said in Acts chapter 15. Peter preached the gospel and God backed him up. How? By pouring out his spirit. That way no one could argue against the matter. I'm sanctioning this. God is saying by pouring out his spirit, I sanction this. This isn't Peter's doing. This is my idea. He wasn't bright enough to come up with this. I told him to do this because he didn't want to do this. He said he wouldn't do it three times to me. And I poured out my spirit anyway on those that he considered unclean. And I told him, don't say those that are uh, unclean that I've already called clean. Don't call them unclean. No, not anymore. I'm going to sanctify them just like I sanctified you. You were just as unclean as them. And I still saved you. I still washed you and, and, and regenerated you. And, and by the power of my spirit, I can do the same with them. I have a question. Yeah. So, and, I, and I'm not arguing, but... So you get people that say, if you look at the scripture, well, if they have the Holy Ghost... Um, you know, you're getting into works of the law if you say they have to be baptized in Jesus' name. How do you argue that? I mean, I know that Peter said, forbid them not to be baptized, but some people will say, well, if they have the Spirit, they're, they're God's. That's Because here it says that's his sign that they are his. Baptism in Jesus was never prescribed in the law. Okay. You just, you, you the way that you worded it, you made an intimation that the baptism in Jesus' name came from the law. That didn't come from the law. No one was ever told to be baptized in Jesus' name. There were types and shadows of the brazen altar with the blood, the brazen labor with the water, types and shadows. Types and Nothing was ever said, hey, you need to be baptized in Jesus. That's a new covenant requirement because he was establishing a new covenant, because he fulfilled the old, since none of them could fulfill it. I fulfilled it myself so that I could do what? Establish a new covenant. My new covenant is to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, receive you the gift of the Holy Ghost, and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Circumcise your heart. You have to circumcise your heart. I, 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 I explained that in another study. And Jeremiah says, you circumcise your heart. And then at the end of Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to circumcise your heart. But who did he say to do what first? He told man to circumcise his own heart. In other words, repent from your ways, and then I will circumcise your heart, and I will do the spiritual thing that you cannot do. So it could be said that when he when it says he judged their heart, mm-hmm. he saw that they were they were, they already had an obedient heart. So... He poured his spirit, and then when Peter said, who can forbid them from receiving the water? And they completed their heart. They completed the the whole thing because their heart was inclined to do God's will. And God already knew that. But you have people today that say they have the spirit of God, Mm -hmm. but they argue baptism in Jesus' name. They say that's a a work, that you don't have to do that. Okay. Well, in order to say that, then you would have to argue with Peter and Paul and John and the rest of the apostles. For they said, those that hear God, hear who? Hear us. Well, they're the ones that are saying that. 
It's not me saying that. I didn't say that. The pastor down the street didn't say that. It doesn't matter. It matters what the apostles said. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets of old were already prophesying of the Christ to come, so we need to understand and believe that. The, the, the apostles in the new were also establishing foundational doctrines, foundational teachings, required commandments. And so we are putting our trust not just in their word, but recognizing they got that from Jesus himself. That's what Jesus wants. So if that's what Jesus wants, then when I hear it, I've got to decide, am I going to obey it or not? You could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Way, whoopee-doo. That's a baby step. But did you repent? Well, you couldn't receive the Holy Ghost had you not repented. But did you also follow in suit with the water? Because that's a, that's a commandment. That That's not a suggestion. That's not a... a uh, well, I think it's a good idea if you know it's a it's a command. It was said to be a commandment. It said during the days that he was uh, forty days after his uh, resurrection, he was with the disciples for forty days, preaching and teaching them things concerning the kingdom of God and giving them commandments. He didn't say suggestions; they're commandments. So you can wiggle around, and you can. I mean, why would you not? I mean, it's your part. It's an easy part. Get baptized in Jesus' name. Why is that so difficult? Why is that so hard? Because you want to hold to traditions. Maybe you were baptized as a baby in, the, in a particular church. I know I was when I, when, I, when I got a godfather and a godmother, you know, but I don't hold to any of that. When I was of age and I realized what I needed to do, I went and got baptized in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter what happened in my past. I was able, I was willing to forsake that. And so if some person wants to say, well, yeah, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost because I fell back and it was a well glorious experience. I felt like I was on cloud nine. Well, okay, whatever. Uh, I follow the word, not your experience. Because I could talk to a thousand other people that have all their different experiences. Okay, you had that experience. I'm not going to argue with you that you had the experience, but I'm not going to follow your experience. I'm going to follow the word because that's the only thing God has sanctioned. So if they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if they were commanded to be baptized in Jesus' name, and it didn't matter what order it was in, whether you received the Holy Spirit first and then baptized, or you got baptized and then received the Holy Spirit, I see this pattern and this is what I'm going to follow because this is the word of the Lord. And so that's what we have to do. We can't go by what other people say or think or experience. Now next, we see two other people stand up and witness concerning this, Paul and Barnabas. So let's read verse 12. Who's next? Oh, okay. So next, I guess 12 is me. Then all the multitude kept silence and they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. So first the Pharisees spoke. Then Peter spoke up. Then Barnabas and Paul spoke up. And what did they do? They declared the miracles and the wonders that God wrought among the Gentiles by them. So did they start talking about the things that they were preaching and teaching? No, they started talking about the manifestation of the power of God as they preached to the Gentiles. There were miracles. People were being healed. Uh, people were being uh, saved. People receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, just like we did. And they just started talking about the power, the power. God is sanctioning this, not because I say so, but look at what he did. For Peter, he poured out his spirit and I didn't even finish preaching. I didn't even lay hands on them. 
For, for Paul and Barnabas, we're preaching and people are getting healed and people are getting saved and the blind are seeing and the, the, the lame are walking and the deaf are hearing again. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to say? That's all we can say. God is doing something that is beyond us. It, we're, we're not foolish enough to argue against it. And we never told them to go circumcise themselves. And God was still doing all of that. That's the whole point. Because the point is, they're saying, you got to get circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And the apostles are saying, we never told anybody to do that. And look at what God is doing. How are we going to argue that? We're not going to argue against that. You guys can. We're not. That that No, we're not. And then the last person to stand up was James. Anybody know who James is? He was the half-brother of Jesus. So he's got a lot to say because not only was he uh, raised with Jesus in his own house, um, he didn't walk with him during the days of his flesh, but he eventually became a disciple and he began to become an elder in Jerusalem. And he's well-respected now, recognized, okay? He stands up and he says this in 13 through 17. Monica, verse 14. 15. 15. 14. 14. Simeon has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Who's who's Simeon? Peter. Simon Peter. Okay? He first started with how the God had first visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. Okay? So he's just rehashing everything that's just been said. Next one. And to, and to this agree the words of the prophets as, as it is written. Okay. After this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, saying, the Lord who does all these things. So his conclusion of the matter is, listen, God did something with the Gentiles that was beyond us. We, we didn't have any idea, but God did it. And then he brought the old covenant in. So that he could show how the old covenant agrees with the new covenant that they're walking in. And he quotes the scriptures. And what this does is that this makes the scriptures in harmony and agreement with the old covenant and what they were walking in in the new covenant. So what do they conclude? Nothing else is required for salvation. Only what they had already preached and taught. Peter emphatically referred to the importance of the spirit that was poured out as a witness. What did Paul and Barnabas do? They referred to the signs and the omens and the wonders by his spirit that followed, which confirmed the word that they were preaching according to Mark 16.20. That's where it comes from. And James recognized that this thing that Jesus did when he brought the Gentiles in, this is fulfilling the scripture that he is rebuilding the tabernacle where? In the hearts of men. That's what he's doing. It was enough for them to know that, that when they preach Jesus, 
His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, along with the threefold witness in the earth from 1 John 5, 8 of the blood, the water, and the spirit, that Jesus confirmed the word they were preaching by pouring out His spirit on the believers. Jesus did this because the people trusted in Him. And if they trusted, then they obeyed the gospel preached to them by the apostles. That was the conclusion of the matter. If you do it his way, it says in Jeremiah 1.12, he will watch over his word to what? Anybody know? To perform, to perform it. In other words, he's going to watch over his word to make it come to pass if you do it my way. If you come to me in the way that I require, I will do my part. I will sanction everything that I told you I would sanction. I would give you all the promises I told you I would promise if you do it my way. And that's what they were doing. They did it his way and God was sanctioning everything they were preaching by pouring out a spirit and doing miracles and great signs and wonders. That's what concluded the matter. Amen? Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.